Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Friday, August 21st, 2020. I'm Tom Bevan, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics. And I'm Carl Cannon, Washington Bureau Chief for Real Clear Politics. I'm Susan Crabtree, White House correspondent and national political correspondent for Real Clear Politics. So, Carl and Susan, uh, the DNC is now complete. Uh, give me your thoughts on what you saw last night. Joe Biden, Susan, you wrote about it um, for Real Clear Politics this morning. How did Biden do? Well, I thought he met the moment. I thought it was the speech of his lifetime. There is always a caveat at his speech of the lifetime. This is a great moment for Joe Biden. We saw a lot of that last night in the after the commentary afterwards. Uh, but I do think that if we look back, if he manages to pull off the presidency and win the presidency, we will look back at this night as his moment where he really, really proved himself. Uh, he, of course, the bar was set pretty low. Uh, you know, both of the campaign, the Trump campaign itself was setting the bar low by, you know, casting him as this bumbling, you know, senile guy who couldn't really deliver in the moments that it mattered. But last night, I do think he did. I thought it was, there was no soaring rhetoric. There was, it was a very basic speech. He went on the attack uh, for Trump. He attacked Trump as sort of this element of darkness that has taken over our country, and he was going to bring the light. Uh, so I thought that, you know, that that was, uh, he did pretty well. And I think, uh, he, he has a, you know, we'll see what the Republicans bring next week, but I think everybody was breathing a sigh of relief and you had people even celebrating the speech. Carl, give it a grade, A through F. Well, I'll grade on the curve. Uh, <laughs> um, because as Susan pointed out, that's, that's Joe Biden, but I thought that was an A. For style or content or both? Well, he's not try he's not really even attempting in most places in that speech to be eloquent. He's trying to do a couple of things. One of them, Susan pointed out, you know, if he just, the way Trump's described him, if he didn't drool on himself, he'd, he'd, have, he'd have had a victory, and he, he didn't drool. Uh, but he also, you know, tied up the theme of the Democratic Convention, which is that President Trump has divided the country, and the Democrats will work to unite it. And he made that case over and over again, and I thought he made it well. Did he do enough to provide a vision for the future. Obviously, you know, he was critical of Donald Trump and, and the convention itself was a four day, uh, you know, infomercial as to why Trump is terrible and awful and it's an existential threat. He needs to be gone and that Biden is a good guy. He's compassionate. He's empathetic. All of these, you know, personal characteristics. But did he do enough policy wise? Did he provide enough vision for, you know, independent voters and swing voters out there who are looking and you know they're not rank and file Democrats, and they're looking to how the Biden uh, Harris administration is going to lead the country forward. Did he did he do enough of that, Susan? Well, I think that you know if we're talking about at the after these four days, whether he was wonky or enough, I think he's winning uh, because you know he really these kind of conventions are a chance to for the candidate and the party to connect with their base and their voters, and also to win over swing voters. And I think that obviously. That is his strength, and he wanted to talk about a return to decency and normalcy, and I think he accomplished that largely. He, uh, time and time again, he talked about how he loves to connect with people. In fact, he likes to talk almost too much um, with people. He meets people in elevators. He talks to people as grandparents on the phone. He bothers his grandchildren all the time. 
Uh, but he has been through these moments in life, which are, you know, no one would want for anybody. And he's managed to get through them. And he said he would do the same for his country. And Jill Biden echoed the, the, that sentiment. Tom, Tom, okay, let me add something to that. Yeah, I, you know, the out of power, power party doesn't always have to have this huge policy description. You know, you came of age when Bill Clinton was running for office, Tom, and he used to do that. He was the man with the plan, and he talked at great length about the de- how he'd manipulate the, the maneuver, the machinery of government to to help ordinary Americans, and it worked for him. But normally, what the out of power party has to do is just make its case against the in party power. You know, that's the power that the president, the incumbent. And they don't even really need to do that this time. They don't need to say why it's not working. We've got 170,000 people dead from COVID-19. The economy is still in a very difficult lockdown period. Everybody knows it's not working. All the Democrats have to do is just present themselves uh, as mainstream and upbeat. And the case kind of makes itself. That's what they were banking on. And I think that was a savvy, uh, savvy way to look at it. Uh, I think, I wonder if, if they did enough. I think this is going to be a really close election. I think one of the things, you know, we didn't hear anything, not even a passing reference to the violence and unrest and looting that's been going on. And you can be sure that Donald Trump is going to, and the Republicans are going to make law and order uh, a feature of their convention. And I, I think that has some purchase with swing voters and suburbanites, particularly in the states where this election is going to be decided. And the Democrats just decided to talk about, you know, systemic racism, social justice, and, and almost to pretend that the darker side of, of what these protests have turned into, Antifa, some of the anarchists and, and things that are happening in the streets that we're seeing every day, I, I, I think that might... It was a missed opportunity, and it leaves something on the table for Republicans. So, I, look, I think the Democrats, by and large, did a fairly good job with their convention. Uh, it was, you know, they were going first in an unprecedented situation. Um, it wasn't perfect. Uh, there were some very cringy moments, but as far as the big ticket items go, uh, Kamala Harris's speech, Joe Biden's speech, the Obamas, um, I think those as sort of the flagship takeaway moments. Everybody acquitted themselves well, including Joe Biden. I agree with Susan and you, Carl, that I mean, it's, the, it's the downside uh, of the Trump strategy to portray Biden as a blithering idiot and a, and a scene out when he steps up there and, and can merely string sentences together. Um, it, it deflates that argument. They're going to have to look elsewhere now unless they can you know, trap him in the debates in some sort of moment that really reestablishes that narrative. Let's look forward for a moment to the Republican Convention. That's a good transition that Tom made. So this is they're going to have to have the same challenge, do a convention that's not really a convention. Nobody's going to convene. Um, and they, I think the Democrats, their production values were pretty good. They seem to get the, the, the zeitgeist of it. Uh, how do you think the Republicans are doing? What do you think they should try and stress? Well, I don't know if we can get Michael Deaver back and uh, and deal with that and have him behind the scenes. I know certainly you're going to have a lot of less star power at the convention next week, but this focus on uh, heroes is what we're hearing. There's going to be a focus on faith and family. That I think that the Bidens tried to do, but really didn't. They pulled off the family part, but they didn't. The, the faith part's a little more controversial, as I wrote about earlier this week. And you have him, uh, Biden, talking about his Catholic faith. 
But at the same time, a month ago, he said he's going to resurrect this uh, lawsuit against the um, nuns and uh, to focus on, contra on contraceptive mandate that the Obamacare offered. So I think you're going to see the Republicans uh, focus on, um, talk about that a little bit. They've already were this week. And they're going to be talking about how the Democrats always manage, even when they're in a strong position, to go too far, right? Um, the They were endorsing these protests, basically, at this convention. You had Kamala Harris up there saying that the fight for justice, you know, sort of comparing her own life story with this. There was nobody talked about the people, the innocent people who died during this civil unrest over the last three months. Um, there were officers who were... Uh, hurt. There were uh, people that had National Guardsmen that had, you know, green lights, laser lights, uh, damaged their eyes. Uh, I think you're going to hear a, a, lo a lot from the hero side, from the Blue Lives Matter. From the, it's going to be a big contrast to this week, um, and I think it will play to the base and also to suburban moms, as Tom mentioned, who are very concerned that this kind of violence and arrest can come to their towns. Well, Tom, you've you've written and talked about this. It's not just people in the protest, as police have been reluctant to intercede, and some people, you know, criminals have been emboldened. Crime has shot up, violent crime, mur the murder rate in many American cities. Do you think the Republicans should talk about that, or is that too fraught an issue? No, I think they I think they will talk about it. Um, you know, it is. A, look, it's a fact. And I'm, I'm here in Chicago and it's been an awful, bloody summer. And we've suffered through two rounds of looting in the last three months, including uh, some that took place just a, a week or two ago. The city has no idea how to handle it. Even the new superintendent, the mayor, uh, the prosecutor's office. I mean, our system is we're, you know, the police are pointing fingers at the judges for, you know, on bail reform and letting criminals out that are going right back out on the street. Um, you see that in New York City as well. So I, I think that Trump is going to and the Republicans are going to make this a, a featured part of their campaign and say, look, if you know, if you vote for Joe Biden, this is what you're going to get. I think that is they risk if they do that, they risk making their convention too dark and they, they have to also offer a forward looking, optimistic, hopeful vision uh, to go along with that. They can't just say. You know, it's, it's going to be crime and criminals and radicals coming your way that, uh, again, in the same way that Democrats, you know, are trying to vilify Trump. That's only going to take you so far with with uh, swing voters and independents and moderates. And I think Republicans face that same challenge. They're going to they're going to drive that home. But if, if they don't present, if Trump doesn't present a vision for the next four years, a positive vision, um, that's going to be a missed opportunity for the Republicans as well. You, you've reminded me of one thing the benefits of a virtual convention. No riots, no demonstrations. <laughs> you can say anything you want. Uh, and there's, where were the protesters even supposed to go? This is not 1968 in Chicago again. We know that they were, um, protesters were planning to go to Jacksonville and they were going to make a big route. Uh, and when we wrote about that, um, we were talking about what we were asking the Justice Department, whether there were gonna be favor federal agents sent down to Jacksonville. The next day, Carl, as you remember, abruptly it was canceled. I'm not linking the two, but I'm just saying that the security was a big concern for both conventions. Uh, but I think that, you know, when you talk about Joe Biden being the man of the people, 
you know, the Republicans are saying that they're going to flesh out uh, a little bit more about uh, the president's own empathetic side. And, you know, there are moments and you have talked to people out there. He does uh, work. He has worked spent his whole life working with construction workers on the site. Uh, you've had people who say they owe their lives and livelihood to him and have really seen him as a mentor. There are women who in his administration, he employs a lot of women. They are going, I expect them to be talking out forcefully in favor of his management style and the goals uh, and uh, the way he presents himself, the way uh, that he has brought the economy back and he, he's the best person to do that again. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm hoping that there are moments of that out there because if not, it's a lost opportunity because you know those people exist even if they don't get the primetime coverage in the mainstream media. Well, trying to humanize Donald Trump four years into his presidency strikes me as a little late, but better late than never, I suppose. Carl, if you're uh, put on your, your political hat now, if you were advising Donald Trump and the Republicans, what would you tell them to do? What would you tell them to focus on in the coming days? Well, I, I think they should talk about policing, but I think they should do it in a way that doesn't just scare people. I think they ought to acknowledge that this country needs criminal justice reform and make the argument that they're the better party to do it. That'll be a, 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 clearly a feature. I do think it's interesting, too, that you, you can already see, at least just in the past 24 hours, this new shift. They released the Trump campaign, released an ad this morning saying Biden you know, 47 years of being in Washington, total failure, you know, during his time there, you know, uh, prices of drugs have skyrocketed, et cetera, et cetera. And the list, they go through the list. Um, Donald Trump is still going to try and portray himself as the outsider who's going to drain the swamp and he's not done and he needs to do more. And Republican uh, Democrats are obviously going to going to counter that by saying that you are the swamp and look at all your you know buddies who've benefited and the ones who've been you know indicted or convicted for various things um and pardoned and pardoned so i look i think this is going to be a, a nasty campaign the next 73 or four days um is going to be a real knockdown drag out as both of these campaigns who are flush with cash are going to be even if they're not going to be in person on the road having big rallies i mean they're going to be blanketing the airwaves and the intertubes with nasty negative, <laughs> nasty negative ads, because in some ways that's what's driving this election. Uh, not you know, Democrats certainly aren't enthusiastic about Joe, voting for Joe Biden as much as they are enthusiastic about voting against Donald Trump. This idea of negative partisanship, and there's a lot of that uh, on the Republican side as well. And that's part of Trump's strategy is to make people want to vote against Joe Biden because he represents this existential threat from the left. Well, as, as a guy, former governor of California, who Susan and I both know, Gray Davis once said, they don't have to do backflips of joy into the voting booth to vote for me. They just have to pull my name on the lever. So I think that's what the Democrats are counting on. Okay, we will leave it there. I'm Todd Bevan, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics for Carl and Susan. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Friday, August 21st.